being adaptable and finding a way through mm-hmm. when it just seems like there's like 10 yeah. layers of brick wall <laughs> in front. The ability to assess situations and still find some ounce of hope in a environment that it's not very hopeful. And mm-hmm. I think that's what's kept me going in times when I didn't think I could. I think that's the beauty is that there is such a big component of the mental game and the soul game in the sport of all trying. Well, welcome to the B-Rad Podcast. My name is Cap Bradley, and today I'm here at the Brooks Pop-Up in Venice, California for a live podcast um, where we're going to be chatting with Scott Jurek, seven-time Western States champion, ultra-running legend, someone who I think changed the sport um, in a way that, that I benefit from a lot today as a professional trail runner. Um, Scott, seven cougars where do you keep them all <laughs> that's uh that's a good question actually yeah. one of them went missing for a while actually so um i have and this is funny we're here at the brooks pop-up because i had two of them at headquarters so mm-hmm. brooks headquarters in seattle washington which used to be out in bothell and when they moved um, there was like, where is the other cougar? And so <laughs> I was a little worried. Like my wife was like, yeah, Jenny was like, what? You just like let them, you assume they would take care of it. Like somebody walk off with it or something like yeah. that. Um, but it's a 30 pound uh, I was statue just say, trophy. So it's a 30 it's, pound brass statue. <laughs> it's, it's not it's easy heavy. to run away uh, with 30 pounds of bronze. So, but I, and they did locate it and yeah, it's displayed. Cute. So I have two of them at Brooks and then believe it or not, I don't have them displayed. They're in a box like in like storage like yeah. I know it sounds bad but I don't have like my trophies displayed at home and yeah. I don't know um Jenny they they just don't maybe fit our <laughs> Your our stuff our, <laughs> our interior decorating so to speak but yeah. um yeah I still cherish them but maybe it's, it's because you have seven <laughs> I have one and it's out <laughs> it's yeah, displayed you know okay yeah and, uh, and I think that's yeah it, it's it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Somebody used to joke and be like, oh, you can melt them all down and make one trophy <laughs> like, or something like that because it's just You'd bronze. Never but it. I, never, I never took that upon myself and I don't ever see myself doing that. <laughs> yeah. I remember right after I um, won Western, it was actually like around this time, October, and we were at an event in Boulder um, and you and I were on a panel together and I wore my... Um, when you win Western, you also get a buckle, a silver buckle that says winner on it. <laughs> and I wore my bro- buckle. I was all like loud and proud. And you were like, you actually wear that thing up? <laughs> I, I think it's, it, it could be, it could be like, yeah, in terms of uh, attire, I think it could be. I was used to think that I would put like mine on a bandolier. I thought it'd be super oh, cool with a bunch of awesome. like, you know, AK-47 shells in between. <laughs> yeah. like, like bandito style, uh-huh. like, you know. I don't know. I just thought that would be kind of fun, but I also thought it would be a little bit too like showy. Maybe. Yeah, a I little mean, over again, the top. Again, you have seven. But, but <laughs> so. I did think about it after every year. I'm like, oh, but there's like four or five of them. That would be kind of cool to like yeah. Yeah, make a band lead. Um, that's awesome. <laughs> um, so you know, you really don't need that much of an introduction, but you know, again, seven-time Western States champion, you 
really changed ultra runner ultra running and being like one of the first pro professional ultra runners um and you're a force in the community like no one you know you're you put ultra running in the map and you you are mainstream for a very niche sport um that's who you are to the ultra running community but i always like to ask this because like you're you're also a person like how do you see yourself in the community and how do you you know if you were to introduce yourself like what's your job (laughs) what would you say (laughs) i I usually end up saying like i i don't know i i'm many things i've cobbled it together like it's it's kind of weird because when i was at my peak years of racing i always had a job like, yeah. I wasn't able to be, I was a professional athlete, but having to pay the bills, doing something mm-hmm. else. And so I've always thought of myself as not, I guess, my career in my, I guess, my passion for altering, because it wasn't really a career. It was a career, but it wasn't, if, yeah. if something could be said that, of that. It's, I guess I was who I was, and I, I, I loved the sport of running. I loved the sport of ultra running. I loved what I was doing out on the race course, out like in my, I don't know, orbit atmosphere of what running and trail running was all about. But at the end of the day, um, I, it just kind of fell into my lap in a way. I kind of maybe got lucky with the timing of some things, but um, by the time I was like done with my peak racing career, like I. I just, I was telling this story before, but I, I used to actually buy groceries with the extra money on like travel when yeah. I go to races because I, you know, I didn't actually get paid in money. I was always reimbursed for my expenses. Mm. So when I would be out racing, I'd be like, oh, I'll buy a few extra groceries and tuck those in my like checked luggage yeah. so that I could um, yeah eat for the rest of the week. I mean, that's kind of how it worked. Like I, yeah, yeah it was just always. So it is funny like as it transitioned now you know it's like writer i'm you know athlete slash i don't know i don't even like to use the word influencer but like i feel like everybody can be an influencer because like we all influence people but i hate using that term and all of these things kind of came about Um, and then of course i was a physical therapist for so many years yeah still and coach and so i don't know i've worn a lot of different titles over the years and I've kind of just allowed it to kind of come together into Mm -hmm. like what it is today um, yeah which is I don't know (laughs) a conglomerate jack of all trades so to speak um, which is it which has been kind of fun and I think being open to that possibility so if there's one thing I've learned I used to think I'm going to follow a path and I know where I'm going to be in two years three years four years five years ten years um, and that didn't really happen. And I'm like thankful that I just kind of like let things kind of road out. I'm not recommending that path for everyone. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't be 30 some or whatever it was, $40,000 in credit card debt, um, to get to that place. But that's kind of, I just kept following this passion and cobbled things together yeah. in a way. And that's so interesting that you mentioned the credit card debt because I, I've heard you say that, like you told me that, like when I was like, 22 or something and partying at Lewis. No, but before that, like partying with Lewis, you were like, because Lewis was like, um, our mutual friend kept trying to not 
tell or trying to tell me to not take it too seriously and <laughs> it was just like he got in a lot of credit card debt <laughs> that was like the, the words that scared me <laughs> it was like don't do it don't do <laughs> I it was like, don't. and i always tell people like yeah you know and go i go to kid or go to school kids you know or, or get that job i mean running could be an avenue but yeah and i but i was like lewis you're not doing a very good job i mean like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he seems fine to me <laughs> but uh um you know i i'd like to mention that because like that is freaking scary and like you had this crazy passion that you kind of just had to have faith that it worked out you know and like where did that come from and like how did you cope with the weight of that faith of like this will work out you know this is worth this you know 30 percent interest rate debt that's you know <laughs> well it wasn't 30 percent thankful yeah, then yeah. i actually could find but yeah i i don't know you know to be honest i didn't have this notion that things are going to work out and I'm going to like get rich or I'm yeah. going to like pay off my debt. Um, I guess I just kept plugging along and at some point I knew I was going to have to take care of it. And that's when, um, when I actually started getting somewhat of a paycheck from Brooks <laughs> instead yeah. of just being reimbursed by other brands uh, for expenses or getting a few thousand dollars from like Cliff Bar. And I'll mention it because that was the day of like athlete sponsorship and like yeah. getting a few thousand dollars cash was of a big deal i mean yeah. races that offered a thousand dollar prize purse was like huge too so prize money wasn't going to do it and endorsements you know finally were kind of coming around in the sport and i was able to do it but it took you know six wins at western states you yeah know, before i could do that um it was just how it was and prior to my generation there was no money in it so people mm -hmm. did it like on their own and there wasn't this like looming, oh, I'm gonna one day, if I just, if I work a little bit harder or if I just, you know, win Western States one more time, yeah. I'm gonna like pay off all my debt. And so for me, I had to figure out a way. So debt consolidation works. Um, <laughs> and uh, just like, I don't know, I, I hear these sometimes, these wild talk show radio hosts who are like, you know, just go on the beans and rice diet. You hear these like, <laughs> I hear it sometimes late at night. You're like, like I was on that diet. <laughs> and yeah, I was on that. Like, I was I'm on that vegan. diet because I chose I wanted to be vegan, yeah. but I also was on that diet because yeah, I just like would go to the local co-op on member appreciation day once a month and get 10% off. And I was like, how can I whittle down my rent every month, like find the cheapest place, live in a studio apartment in Seattle. And so I did a lot of those things, but I still kept following this ultra running like passion that I had and still wanted to keep seeing what I could do without this idea. Oh, I'm one day going to, yeah, it, I'm going to make it big. That was, <laughs> that was never really like, um, I don't know, like Dean Carnazes when he came out and was making, um, to us like, wow, he's making that kind of money, um, doing what he was doing that was, you know, like, wow, there's, there's actually potential in this, but at the same time, we're like, no, there's no potential. Look at most of us. Yeah. <laughs> we're all. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely changed over the years, but yeah. Yeah. The, the faith was really, I have faith in myself to keep exploring a, I don't know. It's, it was really like a passion project or as you know, some of my, one of my climbing buddies uh, who I got to know over the years, like Dean Potter used to call it his art, mm -hmm. practicing his art. And I think in times when you are an endurance athlete, it does seem like this, it's a lifestyle. It's something that you are trying to pursue in terms of, yes, get better athletically, but there's some other kind of like, I don't know, soul chiseling that occurs or some kind of um, uh, form of, 
myself, if I if were to put a, it's hard to describe this in terms, but a, a self-honing uh, mechanism, it was that that I, I think was yeah. after. Um, and in the end of the day, if I was in debt because of it, it's kind of like artists or yeah, musicians totally. or a lot of things, or if you're just following this career or a, a startup or uh, entrepreneur, like hopefully things work out financially. Yeah. But <laughs> if they don't, I think at the end of the day, I needed to have another reason. And that yeah. was like, I knew this sport, this art or this passion was going to be good for me. Yeah. And it kept me on a good path, I think, overall. There could totally. be a lot of other ways I'd spend my life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Although sometimes I'd, I'd doubt myself, too. Like, again, yeah. having faith, sometimes that faith wanes. And I'd be like, is this really, like, I could be at home in a nice, like, warm like, four, four walls and, like, you know, a roof over my head, all, you know, on my couch, just really comfortable. Totally. Or in that case, my futon, which was barely long enough yeah. to, like, hold me. But it was, like... It, there was a lot of doubt too so I think it's like having faith in things but also the doubt is normal and I think that doubt or that like being scared um, was was useful and yeah maybe maybe being in debt was <laughs> being a little bit scared um although it's not fun but yeah yeah like I said I'm a big fan of debt consolidation <laughs> like chiseling away at it before it becomes too, uh, Do you too have much a of a problem so yeah <laughs> I don't know it was too long ago but I finally did joking. climb out of it but yeah, yeah. I tell people and nowadays it's really hard and I think yeah. that's that's what it's it's hard no matter what so following a passion or something you really believe in that you know is good for you and good for um, the betterment of like society. I think that's where mm -hmm. running falls in. It's like yeah. running's a great thing. I love the people, I love the community. And as I got outside the ultra running community, there's, it's just like this vast universe, so to speak, of yeah. what running does for people. Yeah. Um, I love what you said. You said two things that really stuck out to me. Soul chiseling yeah, and <laughs> self honing. Um, which I love. I especially love soul chiseling because it's in ultra running. It's like, you know, it's freaking hard. It takes, you know, blood, sweat and tears and you're just kind of picking away at it, you know, until hopefully you have a version of yourself that you're proud of. And, you know, in that time and like, you know, I, I, in like a lot of your interviews and in talks like you you talk about it's like almost in that time there's like a sense of anguish while you're going for these big goals um and i'm just i'm curious like what did that self-honing look like for you and what what are the things besides the race wins that you have to show for it today yeah it's a good question i don't know it's funny i've never used those terms <laughs> i came up with them today like it is it is funny but um it's 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 really hard to like I think all the time it changes like what what I was doing what was I getting out of it I think for me on the outside there was this okay how do I get faster how do I chip away at minutes and seconds but like the soul chiseling so to speak that I it, it's hard to say like what I was I it's kind of one of those things like you know when it's when it's done when you've completed a goal or you've been out in like a, a place of discomfort or a place of just really digging to the the core of who you are as a human being and maybe as a who knows what terrestrial yeah. like uh, specimen um there's certain things that happen and you just know at the end of them at least for me i knew at the end that 
I hate to use the word like better person, but I was something and somebody different. Yeah. And I got glimpses of that somebody or something that made me want to go back for more. And, you know, that, that I think is the real, I don't know, secret elixir or potion or secret sauce. Like that's the stuff. And I don't know what it was, but I knew at the end of the day or at the end of the race or at the end of my training runs, um, at the time, I didn't really think so, but, and it took me a lot of years. I think initially it was just like, okay, run harder, train harder, um, eat better, figure out all the little things I can do. Um, but as I studied more like Eastern philosophy and uh, other like just adjunct <laughs> training methods and like things like breath and yoga, it really, I started thinking like, there's more to this sport and this passion than just me getting faster and winning yeah. cougars at Western States. Yeah, totally. There is. And it's like, you know, that's kind of the a, a funny thing in ultra running is it is like you're at every hundred mile race. It is a journey, you know, and it is, you know, you do have to learn to be present with yourself. And um, it is more than just the, the wins. But you wanted to win all those races, you know? I mean, yeah, then I, I could be a, a fierce competitor and turn that yeah, on. Um, totally. You know, and then be the peaceful uh, warrior, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, that was somebody who was contemplative on certain things. But, yeah, it's it's kind of... And it's weird because sometimes I'm like, oh, was I, the, was I a better version of myself? You know, yeah. I was just like, I don't know. And I think it's okay to want to win and still, you know, I think there is a balance, especially, you know, it's, I think there's nothing wrong with being a competitor. I say as a competitor myself, so like, who knows, you know, <laughs> uh, monkey speak, monkey talk, but, um, you know, it, but it sounds like you did a lot of self-reflection on it. And did you ever reflect on why you wanted, you know, the winning Western States was so important to you? I think why it was so mo- it was most important because it was the best arena for me or the the best like um, setting. A lot of people talk about us setting to achieve like greater things than ourselves or go beyond. And like in that setting, it was at least back then like the best place I could really work on that. I mean, there are other races, obviously, but yeah. I knew that race would yield probably the best competition. It was it was the race to go. Not just because, okay, if you win Western States, you're a big deal or yeah. you're gonna gain some kind of notoriety in the sport, which yeah, you do on the side of that, do benefit from that. But it was more, it was the best place for that. And so for me, I, yeah, I felt like that at the time was the best place to do that. And then I think a side benefit and something I later realized was like, okay, I'm, I'm getting, other things out of this than just the the winning yeah and that comes um sometimes it comes after an athlete's career and they can talk about it but at the time you're you're so focused on things and it's maybe better not to reflect too much (laughs) because i think sometimes i yeah with ultra marathoning and training for hundreds in particular you have all this time to like think about this stuff and then you're out there doing things that most people would not want to be doing and running in the rain for eight hours and the the hills of uh the foothills of seattle and the cascades like but i think there's benefit on reflecting it's just like how much can you reflect on it before you start going a little yeah crazy yeah (laughs) i hate the term crazy but going a little like just uh, maybe insane because you can 
start to think like, yeah, I probably shouldn't be doing this. Like, yeah. And then actually like there are times like throughout my career where I've had those thoughts. And like, I think that's when athletes crack, so to speak, or the cracks start to happen where they kind of just doubt themselves, doubt what they're doing, um, kind of question, like, can I still be as competitive as I was? And that's hard to do, especially in a sport where ultra marathoning, where you, you do have a long window relatively. I know like people talk nowadays like, oh, to be at your peak, you know, you really should be this age and you have to have this under your belt and this training. And so it's still a little forgiving for the most part compared yeah, to some sports. Totally. Um, and I'm not saying youth is <laughs> not beneficial, but I think that's, that's tricky in a sport where you can still compete. And like, how long do you want to like burn that candle down and really keep pushing it? And how long mentally do you have? And I think yeah. that's where it's been hard for me because I've, I've loved the sport so much and wanted to keep doing things yeah. and challenging myself. But, um, there comes a point where you're just like, yeah, maybe I'm not like as hungry <laughs> as I used to be. Yeah. And so what would you tell an athlete that is hungry, but is, you know, has that doubt, you know? And I think it could go for, and then I'll speak to everyone. Um, cause it, it's not just elite athletes, yeah. but it's like, what, how do I have that hunger and have that doubt? And I think it's, I think it's like, for most people, it's good to have that scared doubt. And I say, I think there is some fear that happens with doubt in that you're fearful that you're going to lose what you once had. And I think fear is very important for us to like keep evolving as human beings and, mm -hmm. and growing that's a general term, but for that growth to occur, that fear. And so having, I guess, recognize the doubt, don't get stuck in the doubt pattern of just, because <laughs> that's not yeah. a good place to be. So it's kind of like in a race. I think if I were to take like, if you take a year or a career or a season um, for an athlete or for somebody who's trying to break a PR, run their first marathon, run their first 5K, get off the couch, do whatever. Um, there's, I think, in a race, you have those moments where you doubt and it's like recognizing the doubt and the fear, but don't get stuck in that pattern. Cause the yeah. worst thing you can do mentally is just be constantly <laughs> fearful, doubting yeah. and never actually bounce back out of it. So yeah. I think as a, a young athlete or somebody who's new to something or trying to do something <laughs> they never thought they could do is recognizing the doubt and have it and maybe fuel it, um, fuel that desire to, you know, just go beyond what's possible. And, and I think that's really key versus getting stuck. And that's, that's what I try to do, but there's yeah. been, there've been times where I've been down the, the rabbit hole of just doubting and, and in that state where it's like, oh, where, where am I going to go? Yeah. I'm, that's comforting that <laughs> you've also gotten stuck in the doubt cycle. Um, you know, you also mentioned something that's like so interesting. Um, and I think a lot of people might relate to is, you know, you had a very clear peak of your career and it was, you're again, you're like the goat, you're one of the greatest of all time, uh, but you're not at your peak anymore. And I imagine that's been, you know, it, and it sounds like from what you just said that that was like a, probably like a coming to Jesus moment for you maybe. And, and so how, like what happened there? Like when did you realize like, oh, it's, 
you know, um, I probably can't win Western States again, or I don't want to win Western States again. And, and then what did that look like in the following years? And like, where did you, you know, cause I'm sure you still had that hunger for something else, you know, being the personality type thing. <laughs> yeah. Who, who said I can't win Western States, Kat? Whoa, let's go. <laughs> so, I want to yeah. see it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I actually, and I'm not saying this because I felt like, oh, I can still keep performing or I'm at my yeah. peak. Um, but I actually never really thought of it that way. Like, yeah. I knew certain things were being like, I mean, age and time does not lie, um, nor does like just knowing, like, there's going to be a point. And I think more than anything, I might have lost like my drive before I, I probably still could have achieved things, but yeah. there was this like period of in my late thirties where I was just kind of like, not because I couldn't let go. Cause I think some athletes are like, Oh, like, like I used to always say, even after winning Western States and you know, winning Badwater twice, winning hard rock, you know, a lot of these race partathlon three times. Um, it wasn't like I needed like the next fix, like an addict, yeah. like, oh yeah, I gotta go and do something else. But um, I was still having fun with it and challenging myself. Mm -hmm. And that probably was a point where I was also like, what else do I do? Not to say I had done everything, yeah. um, because I could have still kept showing up at these races. I never won UTMB, that's a good example. I, I never really laced that one. Um, so I think for me, it was, I think just a point in time where I kind of felt like, okay, I think I've done enough and being happy with that. So I, rather than me feeling like, okay, I'm not at my peak. What do I do now? It was more like, you know what? I'm pretty, like, I used to say that, I know it sounds bad, but my mom had MS. Those who read my book know that you know, she lost her physical ability to walk at a very young age and doing a lot of things we take for granted. So I always used to say like, you know, I, I've done, I'm so happy right now with what I've achieved. If I lost the ability to walk or run, I'd still be a happy person. I think that's the mentality I always wanted to carry with me, even though I couldn't be winning certain races. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy today. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, not just because I've won all those things, but I'm just like happy with what running has taught me and what I've done in the sport outside of the races. And you know, to me, I just get as excited inspiring others to do things they didn't think they could do versus winning the races. So I think it was like, I was, I don't know, there's just a content. And I think that's hard for a lot of people because you have to be so driven. Yeah. And then one day when you like pull the plug on that like winning or that competitive drive, what do you do next? And that's where I think you see people struggle with depression. They struggle with identity issues and just things that define mm -hmm. them for so many years. Um, so yeah. for me, I, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it was just because, again, going back to the beginning of the conversation, how you said, I was thinking about these things all along in my career. And yeah. being content with failure, being content with success, and just finding that happy place, maybe? I don't know. I don't yeah. know if that's a good answer. And I'm no, not saying like I'm above, answer. but I, I never was, I never had this point where I'm like, you know, shit, I can't run fast anymore. Yeah. Like, I know I can't run as fast now. You know, I'm approaching turning 50 this year, which I always like to think I'm going to be 40 forever. But yeah. um, again, age doesn't lie. And yeah, I just never had that desire to. I think some athletes, it's like they move on to the next thing. I'm like, okay, now I'm going to go after master's records. Yeah. And Well, no, you did. You got the Appalachian Trail FKT. I did. I, mean, I did do something. And I think that was like finding a different like twist on what I was yeah. Achieving, and I knew I wanted to save some of those long, like, 
you know, mega long days, like multi-day stuff to like do later in my career Mm -hmm. and just find a a way to just kind of, yeah, challenge me. But then after you do some of that stuff, then you're like, okay, I'm good for, (laughs) good for a couple of years now, like before the next one. But yeah, there's just always, yeah, finding ways. And I think that would be good advice too, is like for all people, like when running or when your passion isn't there, like, what are you going to do? Like, yeah. How do you not just fill that void, but how do you become happy with who you are, what you've achieved, um, and what you can be? I mean, there's a lot to life, I think. Yeah. The moment you start looking at it, I mean, I, I think about it all the time. I'm turning 50 in a couple of weeks, less than a couple of weeks, and it's hard to rationalize, like, whoa, 50, like, that just seems so old. <laughs> and like, but there's, there's a lot of life left, and I, I've, I've kind of always looked at that way. And I think maybe that's because of the situation I grew up with, having a mother who, at a very young age, you know, she was 31, 32 years old. And it's just like, not only is life short, but it's like, what do you do with life and try to maximize that? Yeah. Well, having some breathing room. I think it's not always about go, 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 go. Yeah. Um, so... I'm a procrastinator too by heart, so I kind of, I'm not always go, go, go. I have a personality to achieve and, and push hard, but. But also I don't put know. it off take it, yeah, take, <laughs> take it easy sometimes. Yeah. I think, yeah, coasting is, is good to do from time to time. That's, I think during my career too, I, for the young runners out there, it's so easy to race year round. Um, I did a lot of, you know, time where I'd go four or six weeks and hardly run at all. Like maybe I'd, you know, run with a dog yeah times a week for a few miles but i i took that you know kenyan east african advice of just like off season you just literally don't lay around and yeah put on some pounds and just like yeah. just uh yeah just chill out for a while which i think helped me too totally um you know you mentioned uh earlier that you didn't really, you couldn't really make running a career till after you maybe lost that hunger. Like, when did that switch? You know, when did it switch? Where was it like an overnight thing? I mean, obviously not where you're like, no, this is, can be a job, you know, like a legit career. Um, or, and, and how, and like another part to that question, a huge part of that for you is um, being well known. And that, you know, going from, an ultra runner who wins a lot of races, but also is kind of like a, um, you know, dirtbag in the woods <laughs> to like someone who's well known, who's like speaking for Apple. Brooks is maybe longest standing athlete um, to like New York Times bestseller. It's that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it is. Like, when you, I guess when you look at it, um, when when I'm just again doing, I guess for me, I was just doing my thing, and you know it. Obviously, I was aware of like, yeah, I'm in this New York Times bestselling book, like Born to Run, or I've, you know, I was in ESPN magazine after like a bunch of events that I'd done, and people got interested in Badwater more and mm-hmm. Wendy. It's so, like there were these things that did happen that I was aware of, like, okay, this makes a difference in terms of like what my profile or awareness goes out there. But for me, I, I don't know. I just kind of, it's it's kind of like I think I've gotten to know like a lot of famous musicians and movie stars like through born to run and all these like when ultra running started becoming in vogue and like oh there's this weird sport out there and and befriended like business folks and being involved in those circles and but they're just down-to-earth people really at their core and I think that's for me is like I just always want to remain who I am Mm -hmm. and not get caught up in that and not be like yeah and, and there wasn't a point where 
like it was kind of funny how I, I started making more money because of running and indirectly you know obviously there's other things like speaking and working and doing the things that I was doing and social media coming about um, those which were all things that I had to like navigate but it was also the point in my career when I was also like again not as maybe hungry or realizing like okay I'm, I think I've kind of done what I wanted to do but mm -hmm. maybe I should still keep going and was kind of in this weird place and that's probably when I started realizing I remember Jenny uh, my wife she still gives me shit about this because I I'm saying sorry I should probably shouldn't be no, you can there, swear but, um, <laughs> no rules she she would yeah give me a hard time still to this day like remember Leadville 2013 like and you just like walked it in <laughs> and I don't know I was like in top 10 like I just I had a really bad day with the stomach and I and I was trying to I was in this space and I think I mentioned it in North how I was just in this point where I'm like if I were to name like a really good example of when things kind of hit and it was a reality it was that point when she says like, you just walked it in you didn't have that drive I'm like well my stomach was like turned upside down and all around and I was just not having a good time and just yeah and that's probably the key not having a good time and over and over for so many hours and so much discomfort and she's just kind of like well you've gotten through way harder things yeah and of course but there are some times where I'd just be like I don't really need to keep doing this or do yeah. I really want to and there are times too is that I've pulled out of races and that one I just instead of pulling out I just walked, it, Walk. in. <laughs> yeah. walked it in and like kind of just suffered through it and got to finish but she was like yeah and she still gives me a hard time about that. <laughs> and so that was probably a point where like am I just trying to go out there because I feel like I want to do this or I should be doing this um and I don't know I still like look at it as like it was still a good 100 mile like adventure yeah and I think it's okay to be that in that spot but it, it was kind of this reckoning of like okay what am I doing right now yeah. And then a couple of years later, I do the Appalachian Trail and like find some other. Yeah. So it, it took a while though. I, I was kind of in a funk for a while. Like, what, what do I do? I need to do anything next? Should I do things? It's like I don't really make money by running races. It's yeah. All the other things that yeah. I do. And you never were in it for the money anyway. So like. Yeah. It wasn't. It was kind of one yeah. of these things where like, okay, now. You know, I'm not able to do my physical therapy practice. Oh, now I can't really coach. Like, I just had to like put focuses on other areas and aspects. Yeah. And I think that was helpful early on too, that I did have a job. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes for the young runners out there um, or aspiring to be, I don't even know, I hate the term professional runner because <laughs> we're all professionals, right? Like, yeah, I mean, it's like, true. I was a professional runner, but I wasn't getting paid necessarily in my early totally. days. So um, I think it's about that, I guess, yeah, having that balance. And that's where having a job and having maybe another outlet <laughs> could be good for some totally. people in a balance, but it, it is tricky now. But yeah, I was just gonna say like, what do you think now? I read something recently that no one in the top 10 at UTMB or CCC this year had a full-time job. Um, really, for male or female? Male or female. Oh. And, Interesting, because and Ludo, what place was Ludo again? I don't know, I don't know what place uh, I wonder. I always thought he had, but yeah, it's true. I mean, Francois, I was talking to him at UTMB, like yeah, doesn't have the winery anymore, the vineyards, like, like he's just, training and racing and like some of these individuals are like oh okay they have a job like 
Totally. Um, but yeah, it's it's shifting for sure. Mm-hmm. And the times have gotten faster, and you know, as more money has been uh, sunk into the sport, you know, it is yielding just incredible competition, incredible performances. Did you foresee this coming? And like, what do you think about it now? Because it is a total cultural shift for ultra running. And like, you know, for someone, I love the adventure aspect of it. Like I did my first rim to rim to rim, like with a bunch of people I didn't know. We took 16 hours. We like put beers in our pack, you know? It um, sounds like Cat Bradley, so right? <laughs> yeah, hiking the Appalachian Trail barefoot yeah. <laughs> or moccasins. Yeah. I remember and, I'm like, okay, this, this girl actually has the old school vibe of like doing ultras totally. or doing uh, long trails. But here I am and like, and I like the balance and I actually do like, you know, as someone who's super intrigued with, okay, like how fast can I get? But I also, love that old school style you know um matt fitzgerald who coached me for a while um told me once that you know some people brace for the storm and some people are the storm and that i was a storm and like if i had like some guardrails and i could just like you know blow off a roof but if without the guardrails i will you know be super destructive mostly to myself you know and i see like these professional you know and so I see myself in this changing culture as a sport and I'm like, yeah, like I want to sink my resources into this and see where I can go. But I'm also like, hmm, like, <laughs> let's hold on, <laughs> you know, um, where do you think, you know, how do you think it's going to affect athletes in the sport? And like, what do you think about it? I mean, I definitely could foresee the sport going that way. I mean, triathlon was a good, you know, place to look at that and what how that sport changed and evolved and it was maybe a little bit closer to ultramarathoning versus say cycling or right? mm-hmm. tour de france and all this but i think with any sport there is gonna be this evolution and the evolving that takes place whether it has more money in it or whether the vibe and the you know, the atmosphere changes um because I think still at the core, ultra running is still ultra running. Like, yes, you can go to a UTMB or you can go to the big races around the world and it seems like a lot of fanfare. There's a lot of hype and it's cool as an athlete. Like I remember the first time getting on that starting line in 2007 at UTMB. I'm like, oh, finally we have a race where athletes are like celebrated. Like this is amazing. Um, But for the most part, you can go to any race though and it's still down home. Like how I used to go and it was we camp out the night before, have some beers, you know, after the race, hang out, like battle each other during the day. And then we're buddies and hanging out after the race. It was kind of like a a concert tour. It was like, we were groupies just going to the next like (laughs) concert. And that still has that, it still has that vibe. So I think, yes, the sport is going through its growing like pains that are going to happen. And I think it is hard as athletes are, who are trying to like, you know, make it excel it's hard when you are having to have you know, a full-time or part-time job on the side to yeah. to make things uh, happen and it's um yeah it's tricky but you know again you have to choose what's important to you and if you find a way to make it work I mean I, again there were sacrifices I made. There were a lot of things I didn't do. Yeah. <laughs> it's like funny. Jenny was asking me like, oh, you never saw, I forget which movie we were talking about. Like, you never saw this movie? I was like, no, I didn't. Like, I didn't watch movies. I didn't go out to concerts um, during those years of me just like yeah. buckling down on my finances, trying to pay off credit card debt, 
focus on my craft, pay the bills by working, all of those things. And yeah, there was a lot of sacrifice for that too. So I think that's where it is hard, I think, as an athlete nowadays and I'll try to see, oh, these athletes have two, three coaches. They have like somebody like planning out their meals and their food and their intake and they have you know, just this scientific approach, which I had to do all myself because I was just fascinated with it and I loved it. But um, it wasn't like I could call a coach up. Like, hey, because nobody knew. I, I knew more than most coaches in terms of ultra running. So it was like fun to be in that spot. But I can see now the pressures of, you know, they have everything. And they, all they have to do is eat, sleep, and drink yeah. and run. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, that's all you have to do. It's like, um, and that's hard, but at the same time, I think there are those stories. Um, you see it in all forms of endurance athletes where people rise from like these situations where, like, whoa, they were just where, you know, yeah. two years ago and now they're doing this. And, um, so I think it's good. It's, it's, uh, it's good feed for the, the soul and mm-hmm. for just that drive, I think. What so. would you tell an athlete that is, you know, scraping and clawing and trying to make it because just like you it's their passion you know i'd say claw more (laughs) (laughs) take more more, like just keep because i think um you know it's true it's going to get more and more competitive um and i think that's always been the case and the sport um but there's always been good athletes and i think probably turn off the social media more. (laughs) I think it's okay to like, you gotta be tuned into some of it because some of it is inspiring. Some of it is motivating. Um, You know, Strava's amazing, but I think it's also like, we used to never post our training. (laughs) And it was like one of those things, like you never wanted people to know what you were doing. And so when people are like, whoa, you know, Jim went dark on Strava before UTMB. Like, I think it's good to sometimes, you know, it's great as a tool to motivate one mm-hmm. but sometimes the social media and just knowing what everybody else is doing can just make the athletes who are clawing away and you know grinding at a job and you know working out in the evenings early mornings that stuff is definitely not healthy to listen to all the time yeah. so occasionally i remember when the um people <laughs> i didn't know this but the the ultra list the list serve that was for ultra running you don't even know what that i that don't is. know what that is <laughs> you don't even know what that is it was basically the early days of social media and um it was the ultra serve was run out of dartmouth of all places it was bizarre but somebody who had started it and the internet was in its infancy like netscape mm-hmm. and the only way that you got info besides reading ultra marathon or ultra running magazine um because websites were really not mm-hmm. happening a whole lot, was to read the listserv. And the listserv was basically a, a chat that people would post things. And it was all just, there was no photos, no videos. It was just, you know, who's doing what at this race? Oh, I heard this person was, you know, training that way. And I never looked at that stuff. Yeah, and that's I remember, amazing. Yeah, Ian Torrance, Ian Torrance would uh, forward me stuff like before, <laughs> like, I don't know, two months, three months before Western States being like, oh yeah, they're talking shit about you. They're like, you know, <laughs> they're like saying this person's going to take you down and this person and that kind of stuff that actually fueled the fire. Totally. So like, I think bits of it, um, that's okay. Cause yeah. if it can drive you, um, to another mental state, but if it brings you down, that's not good. Yeah. So it's, it's like that happy medium. That like, sounds like the it's what, we tell, it's what we tell kids, you know, some yeah. social media is okay, some is not, but like, yeah. yeah, where do you find that line? Balance, I think, like, less is more probably always, you know. 
Potentially, yeah. I mean, but you know, For again, me, now you need to do it so that yeah. you know, there's there's a so it's like finding that that balance. And there's cool things about it too. I, totally. I'm one of those old people that I I do think technology and I can say I'm old. Um, those things can be beneficial. It's like using them to your advantage. Yeah, um, it's like metrics on your watch. Like I yeah. think they're super valuable, you know, and I coach athletes and I love, I, it's important, but I also tell my athletes to mostly tune them out. You know, we can talk about them a little bit and I think social media is the same. You know, yeah. you can use it, you know, to motivate yourself to see what's going on, to get inspired. But like if you ever, if it's ever not serving you, you gotta know when that is, you know, and recognize it. Definitely. Um, you know, we talk, we've talked a lot about what you've done. Um, and I, I want to talk about like, you know, your, your future a little bit and, you know, what type of impact do you hope to leave on the sport and the world? Uh, um, yeah, it's interesting. Cause I kind of feel, I don't know. I feel like that's like ever changing and like, mm-hmm. Um, I just want to be, I guess the, the impact I want to have is being open to the horizons and the future that are out there because I, I never have felt like I'm going to make this stamp. I know it's funny when you introduced me and like, Oh, it had a huge impact on the spirit. I mean, I don't know. I was one of many people that I feel like have mm-hmm. allowed the sport to grow, but I just, um, I don't know. I don't think of it in that term. Like I don't wake up in the morning like I'm going to put this stamp on the sport or I'm going to do that. I don't know. I just, I'm not, I don't know. Maybe that's the part I'm not as driven. Like here's what I want to do. Maybe I, maybe I should be doing more. Um, it's probably why it's hard to like write books for me or like waking up. I'm not like somebody who wakes up in the morning and being like, okay, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. I do have things like, I, I definitely have lists of stuff I aspire to do every day, but um, but you procrastinate. <laughs> but I procrastinate, um, and I, yeah, it's funny. There, there's a lot of writers who actually hate writing and procrastinate just as much as me, so I'm like, okay, I'm in good hands, um, and other people. So I think for me, it's like, yeah, just being open to possibilities. That's what I hope, and if it has an impact on people in the sport, great. Um, if it doesn't, or if I am not enjoying what I'm doing, then i got to find things that, yeah. yeah. And it's like, for me, if I'm doing things in the sport that I love and whether that's, you know, guiding a blind person in a race or if it's doing just this menial task of helping break down at a race, an aid station, those things like that to me, I can, I can be there without having to race and run. And so for me, I guess maybe being a, an example of like, it's good to do the like grunt work. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's for me. If I if I keep doing grunt work, if I keep doing trail work um, out in the middle of nowhere and nobody notices and not being like, okay, I got to post this on social media to pat myself on the back, or if if I can be in a state of just being happy doing the grunt work, um, then I think I'm in a good place as far as what I'm doing with the sport. Yeah, and if it inspires somebody along the way, great. That's awesome. <laughs> I don't I, know. I think that's cool, and I just want to point out. That. I think it's hilarious that you're minimizing your impact on the sport. As I'm sitting here, part of the Brooks trail running team, as like on my taxes, it says professional runner. You know, <laughs> when you you probably are the reason that there's a Brooks trail team wearing the Cascadias. You know, but I'm just pointing it out. I don't. Uh, yeah, I think you know, 
And I think that's, yeah, but it, and I never thought of it that way. And I think that's, what's cool. If you do, I'm not, I'm a believer. If you keep pressing forward, trying to do things that you believe in that, um, again, maybe it's not going to have a huge impact. And I, I tell this to people all the time. I have people that are coming to me, Oh, you're so inspiring. Oh, you changed my life. And you know, that, and that's amazing. Like I love hearing their life stories and where they were, but at the end of the day, it's like, no, you're inspiring people too. And I think we can all have an impact. And I think nowadays we look at things like social media, um, and be like, Oh, I don't have the reach or I don't have, yeah. I don't have, I, I can't do that. Like, I tell people all the time, just every day runners, not athletes who are trying to win. Tell them like, you're inspiring that coworker. You're inspiring that family member. You're inspiring somebody to do something different. And if, you know, one person takes care of their life, their health, their diet a little bit better, um, that's, that's a huge win. And I think sometimes those little wins, I, I have friends who are like, I know I tend to be a, an optimist, but like with recycling, <laughs> people, have, some of my friends are like, you got to do environmental policy. That's where it's at. And like, <laughs> I'm just a believer in doing like the little things like yeah. you, we all can like, you know, ride our bicycle more or walk more or drive less. Here I am, you know, came down to California to do a podcast, but, um, and on an airplane, but I think I still believe in doing little things um, can make a difference. I have to think that way. Otherwise, you can just wake up every morning and be like, the world's screwed. Yeah. Like, we're not going places. So same thing with running. Chip away at things, and we all can be inspiring. We can all yeah. add a little bit more to this world and hopefully, hopefully leave it in a better place. Yeah, totally. Okay. That's why I like running's alive and well. So Yeah, I know. I hope, I hope it stays that way. Same. I know it will. Um, Two more questions before I open it up to Q&A that we are going to go through, but I love these two. Um, you know, every, you know, you talked about getting to meet and be around all these people who are excellent at their craft, you know, musicians, um, you know, whoever else you listed. Musicians stood out to me because that's the thing that I love the most besides running. Um, what... You know, and everyone who's in like an excellent at their craft, their brain like works a little bit different. Um, what is it about you that, you know, that ticks a little bit different than like your average person that has led you to being the person you are with the, this crazy career that you've had? Um, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I guess I'm somebody who I never thought of myself as, um, different but I guess the ability to assess situations and still find some ounce of hope in a environment that it's not very hopeful and I think that's what's kept me going in times when I didn't think I could and I don't know I'm not and I'm a, I'm a pretty much a realist. I'm not an overly optimistic person, but I guess in situations where I feel like, okay, it just seems like it's, it's game over. Mm-hmm. For me, I've, I've been able to find, I'm not the fastest. I mean, I've run a 236 marathon. I mean, you look at somebody like Jim's running <laughs> one and change for a half marathon and just like, but I ran against a lot of people who are a lot faster than me. And the beauty of an ultra marathon is that there is that window to like find that pathway that maybe some people can't find, even though on paper they are 
way faster than you. And I think that's that's what's cool about ultramarathon. So, so that's what for me in terms of my craft is being adaptable and finding a way through when it just seems like there's like 10 layers of brick wall in front. And that, that to me, I think has probably been my, because on paper, I'm not supposed to be probably winning yeah. the races I've won. Maybe, I mean, especially by now. Yeah. Now, today's standards as things get faster. But I think that's the beauty is that there is such a big component of the mental game and the soul game in the sport of ultra running yeah. um, still. Because, you know, you look at the actual paces that runners are running. I mean, it, yes, it is fast. If you look at, say, the 24-hour world record that was broken, Giannis Kuros, which we thought, you know, he used to think it was going to be up there for centuries, um, yeah. was broken. And like, even those, like, they're fast, but, you know, on paper, it's like, oh, could I, could I run eight-minute miles for 24 yeah. hours? I don't know. It's still like, I don't know. It is up here. <laughs> so I think there is a, a huge mental component still. Um, yeah. Although it helps to have the speed of a, a one hour half marathon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the baseline is much lower or much higher. Um, yeah. So last one, what is something that you're proud of that you know people wouldn't typically know? You know, your average fan wouldn't know and like maybe just Jenny or like, you know. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, Kind of stumped me here for a bit. I think for me, I would say that, that I've, I've been most proud with the fact that I never, I was a, very much what people classify as an introvert. And I've been very surprised with myself over the years that, you know, I'm so, I don't know, Jenny always jokes, like, she's like, well, you're a Minnesotan, you're super nice. But I'm like, Minnesotans <laughs> also have this cold edge to them. Like, we, uh, we're definitely not like, just warm and fuzzy like we're warm and fuzzy on the outside and then you know it's like closed off I got growing up in the cold weather I think that yeah. like has created that but um I, I yeah I did not think I would be good at like talking in front of lots of people and, and I was super shy and very much introverted and I think that's um that's something too like that, that can change I think for yeah. people although now there's all this science now latest science on introvert extrovert and they're like oh there's extroverts and introverts that are, have elements of both and they can you know you can have yeah. extroverts that are very good at talking to a lot of people but yeah. yeah it's also the thing that I think annoys Jenny too so I'm always <laughs> talking to people but I, I'm just always yeah the sport has been so much more than just the race the run yeah the time out there it's like the connections made the people I've come across the things I've learned um, the perspectives I've gained totally. and that wouldn't have happened if I was just that shy Minnesotan like oh I just want to go run and then yeah. go back home totally. <laughs> like, if I didn't if I didn't hang out around the campfires if I didn't like sleep on the pavement um, <laughs> at the start of the Baldy 50k those uh, here in the area here shout out to the, the Baldy 50k um, just yeah, sleeping outside on the, the pavement next to my friends who had campers. And yeah. I'm like, those are the experiences that I think caused me to, yeah, grow and evolve over the years. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that didn't happen on the race course. That happened, like, again, around the campfire and around uh, things that are not even close to running. Yeah, I love that answer because, like, it's uncomfortable sometimes to talk to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Running. And I think that's where for a lot of, um, people who think okay i'm just an athlete yeah um i just need to be a robot you know for whatever hours and then 
turn it off. And that's that's not really runnings. I don't think that's ultra runnings vibe at all. Yeah. Um, but there there's still some of that out there. So yeah, yeah. we don't. <laughs> I don't think you can be that way and uh, be successful. Um, maybe if you're a professional football player or yeah, <laughs> certain sports, millions. you can just you can just be like, I don't want to talk to anybody. Yeah. I just want to be you know perform out and you know or musicians that you know, perform in front of 50 to 80,000 people. I mean, yeah, they don't need to hang out and talk to fans. <laughs> but I don't know. Again, maybe it's my Minnesotan nice. Yeah. And I just, yeah, I love hearing the perspectives from other people mm-hmm. and the, the other, the other like echelons of the sport. I hate to put categories, but yeah, I like to just be that low level like <laughs> everyday person yeah. as I've always tried to maintain. So that's that's my one of my hope too when you're talking about yeah i always want to be down there yeah grunt work yeah grunt work hanging out with the hanging out with the day laborers as i like to say because that's that's my minnesota background like i'm a i'm a blue collar even though i've turned it i guess a white collar weird in between phase but i love to chop wood i love to do yeah just love to do the hard hard work that i grew up on Mm -hmm. that's awesome Cool. Well, thanks, guys, um, to our audience for being patient. You know, this was just such a good conversation um, that we went a little bit over. But I think we're going to open it up to questions. Um, And, you know, anyone who asks a question gets some swag. And as we talked about, the first swag item is the B-Rad beer koozie that is vacuum sealed and will keep whatever you're drinking nice and cold. Um, or warm, <laughs> if you like warm beer. Um, all right, do you guys have any questions for Scott? I have a hard hitting question. Oh yeah. All right. What do you make of your boy Scott Drake? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because Kat was just showing me uh, a bunch of them. I, I was telling her that I think it's um, it's kind of weird. <laughs> I guess weird is because again, I'm like, okay, there's somebody. I don't know, pseudo impersonating me, like uses my name. That part is a little strange. Um, I remember Tony, he, I remember on Twitter, he had like Antone's ghost or whatever for a while, <laughs> Tony Kropitschka. And you know, it, it's, it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of strange in that sense. Um, I think, you know, I'm all about humor and I love a good laugh. As long as people, I, the, the one thing is, so many people used to think it was me and so when they're kind of making fun of certain individuals, I was like, uh, that's not cool. Like, maybe do it in your own name. But now it's finally, like, I think it's very apparent it's a fan account. Um, so that part to me is, is way better that it's, okay, people are aware that it's not me. Like, Should making be. fun of another runner or like, oh, this competitor. But, um, I mean, you got to laugh at it because, yeah. <laughs> so it's poking fun at me and um i'm okay with that there's a there's a lot to poke fun of especially like my my bad style that i had back in the day um cat says i was uh ahead of my times but um yeah <laughs> i don't know about that there's there's some pretty bad stuff um so we but did... i wore jorts today just for cat so. yeah i specifically but requested them do you have a so favorite <laughs> like do you like it i guess the question is if people like it and it's funny but yeah, I just always am sensitive about like, okay, I don't want to be that person like yeah. poking fun. But it's, I think in terms of making fun of me, sure. So we um, did this segment before you guys came in that we're going to put on YouTube uh, called Meme Reactions, where Scott was reacting to some uh, ya boy Scott Jerk memes. Do you guys want to do one? 
Yeah. <laughs> All right. You know the drill, Scott. You're going to okay. read and describe the meme and then react to it. All right. You got more. Okay. Yeah, I told you. I, new original. I know. Sometimes people, sometimes people will forward them to me, but I'm not a regular. Okay. Make sure you have the right one. Can I see? Is it the green one? Okay. Yeah. So if you can see that. Can you, hey, Scott, can box? you describe it? Okay. So it's a box of Depend Ultras. And I, I assume that, I don't know if there's a Depend Ultra, but this one is a Depend Ultra. Um, ultra, it's a, I've got to zoom in here. Ultra strong for ultra long. Small, medium, 19 count, maximum absorbency. And of course, they have me modeling uh, the, uh, the gray version, it looks like. Yep, style. Yeah, yeah. in a, I mean, I, I love the, uh, the white tank top. I mean, that's mm -hmm. very. Can you read the caption too? Oh, oh, I didn't, okay. I'd be nowhere without my sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> Depend brand sponsor post. So that's awesome. <laughs> I've not seen that one either. I, I haven't seen yet most of these. But. That's better for this segment. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, next question. I have a question. Yeah. Um, so you've done a lot of amazing things, winning Western States seven times. Just, I'm sure, small snippet of what you've done. What is your most memorable or your proudest moment, your proudest win? So to repeat the question, the proudest yeah. win that you've had. My proudest win. I mean, it's, I used to always say when I broke the course record at Western States, because it was something I had focused on for so many years, and then finally making that happen in 2004. Um, but I'd have to say, I mean, the Appalachian Trail is in another category. Um, that was like every day was a different battle, different race, different, um, and just doing that for 46 days straight. There's just nothing else that tops it in my book. Um, but it's hard to, hard to say, like, just to pick one. But if I were to pick, like, it, that's kind of like the, uh, I don't know, it's like the epic tome that you have always wanted to read, but never got around to reading it. Running the Appalachian Trail was definitely, or I should say walking, stumbling, crawling the Appalachian Trail. <laughs> that's what, what was more, more like it um that just yeah it's hard to like put that in the category but if i were to pick one race it was probably 2004 western states 100. awesome all right phil you had one yeah um so you had talked about um you know just more people getting into the sport of ultra running and you were still kind of like coming in as it was transforming from like a grassroots sport into something that was maybe just kind of like more interesting, right? That the media would start picking up. But now, Kat, with you kind of like being a part of you know, what ultra running is today, I mean, it's gotten so much attention. And with that, there's so many more athletes that want to do it. Not just professional athletes, but everyday runners like ourselves. We're now intrigued by a 50K, a 50 mile, or even a 100 mile, right? So, I view all of us as stewards of this sport. We're stewards of the trail. And my concern has always been with the sheer volume of participants in this sport. How, what is your view and what is your message to continue to protect these lands that we enjoy running on and immersing ourselves in? <clears throat> because I think that's really important because we want everybody to enjoy these trails, but I've been at some of these trail events and it's like, you don't see some, you, you do observe some like not so great behavior by <laughs> crews, by runners, and by like even media. So what would your message be to your listeners and to us to 
continue to you know, exercise good stewardship you know, for these lands. Yeah, so the question is, how do we act as stewards of the trail as um, ultra running and trail running really starts to grow? How do we protect the trails that we're running on as you know new trail runners come in and maybe don't know how to protect and treat the places that we're running on? It's, it's definitely a dilemma, and I, I, I think about it all the time, and I think about, I've thought about it a, a lot over the years, and my whole goal was like, the more people running ultramarathons, the more people running out on the trails, hiking, moving their bodies, the better, right? Like, I'm a big believer in that. I think we can do it sustainably. Um, the beauty of the sport growing more is there's more events. I mean, the one thing that is a good governor on that behavior and what do we do to, to be good stewards is um, we have limits on these races, so we can't grow them too big. So now you just see more races happening. And so if people don't have to travel far and wide, if they don't have to be in lotteries that take 10 years to get into an event, um, that's all a good thing. And then it's a matter of like education. I feel like there's a lot to do in the way of, there are a lot of people coming in the sport who know nothing about hiking, being on the trail. And there are some that come from outdoor uh, backgrounds, but that's a great opportunity, I think, to educate and to get them excited about it too and not be scared. I think more women on the trail by themselves is a great thing too, feeling comfortable. Um, cause that has always been an issue like safety, uh, and being a female, um, and just being safe no matter what gender you are, but particularly, so I think the barriers to that, like if we can bring out more education, um, who does that education? That's a tricky thing. Like, I don't know is because the last thing we want to do to uh, the sport of ultramarathon is have more organizations. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> we're the anti-organization <laughs> sport. Um, and, you know, there's some backlash with things that are happening with, you know, UTMB Ultra Trail and like how that's like growing and are they trying to be this governing body at the same. So it's tricky. I think um, it has to happen through different methods um, on a local basis, on a national. But I don't know. Do we need to establish an organization that teaches people? Here's how you should act on the trail. But I think race directors, um, events could do a better job on that mm -hmm. front. Um, and just fellow runners. If you see somebody, you know, I, you know, you see people just drop, and by accident sometimes, drop a, a gel top or, or something like that, that micro trash that people don't mean to. And then there's all the egregious stuff, of course, that happens, or leaving toilet paper when you, you, you know, going number two, like not burying, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's a big issue, I think, anytime you increase. But to me, it's like, we still need a lot of people out there because if nobody goes out to these places, who's gonna protect them? Um, so it's, it's a fine balance. Like we want more people in the sport, we want them. I think road races are gonna have to grow more on the ultra front. You're gonna see more maybe like comrades style type races mm -hmm. because if you want that ultra experience, um, you can't shut down a wilderness area. You can't run through a national forest with you know, 20,000 people, 30,000 people. Um, and if you want people to have that experience, and I love the trails, but we might see more road events in the future. Um, we might see a, a, even though nobody wants to run 100Ks on the roads these days or 24 hours, I dabbled in that stuff because it was a part of historical ultra running. Um, but I think we might have to see some of that. If you want to have like big events like you have in Europe, uh, you might have to. JFK is a very unique situation where you have, you know, over a thousand people running a little stretch of Appalachian Trail because they're grandfathered in, um, but it's mostly towpath and pavement. And I think in order to pull off that race, 
you have to have a you know more road and more of the stuff that people don't necessarily want but you could have like i want to run 50 miles and go way out in that ultra category so i don't know that's a long answer but it's, it's a tricky situation it is but i i totally agree that the more people that do the sport um you know the national park system was created because the president liked to hunt you know and he really that hunting was his hobby and it made him care about the outdoor spaces you know um and uh and thus the national park system was born. And like, I feel like the more people who learn how important getting outside is and recreating on those trails, and it's easy to be a curmudgeon, like, ah, this trail used to have no one on it, <laughs> you know? Um, and now there's 10 people. It's, it, it is like that. And like in Boulder and like my 10 years there, I've, I've seen like huge growth in trail running. And, you know, sometimes I'm like, oh man, I just want some peace and quiet. But at the same time, like I see way more people doing trail work. Like when I did trail work out there, it was sometimes just me and like two other volunteers. And I just saw a photo the other day of like 40 volunteers and they're like turning people away. So I think it's good. And like, as far as like the behavior that's maybe not so good that you hope comes out of a place of just not knowing, you know, you, you educate them, you know, and when I first moved out to Colorado from California, um, and before that from Hawaii, I remember I was, um, 2013, I was, uh, volunteering at Hard Rock, um, which is high alpine terrain, super delicate. And I was going out to do trail work. I thought I was doing something really good. And I accidentally drove on some basically like high alpine grass and like some, which is like super delicate and like the ecosystem takes a super long time to go and I thought I was like doing a good thing I was like oh cool I'll just park here you know and then some someone came and yelled at me you know and it was like the best thing that they ever did because I learned you know and they were like he, you know I even like don't even mind that he yelled at me because he was clearly he was nice afterward he realized I didn't know what he was I was doing um but it was it was super impactful for me so I think just like you know telling people when they're messing up you know, um, even if it's uncomfortable, is really important, as you said. As long as you don't pick a fight. Yeah, don't, <laughs> like, yeah. don't pick a fight with a trail don't, runner maybe out there. Don't I don't yell know. At them. <laughs> yeah, it's like that fine balance. I think yeah. like combative, but like yeah, education and awareness. And sometimes it does take and having a delicate hand, I guess, and like going back and forth. Yeah. And realizing that people just don't know. Like I care a lot about the outdoor spaces. I just didn't. I thought I, I just saw a passive patch of grass when this guy was like this is tundra has been it takes like decades for this grass this specific type of grass to grow you know so all right a anyone else yeah. yeah so you always um at least to me seem like you just have this undying love for the sport of running and it's not convoluted by industry by what other people tell you you think you should love that's at least how it feels to me that you feel um, but what else inspires you? Because like for us, running isn't our full-time job. And so that is what inspires us, meeting those goals. But I feel like for professional runners or people in the industry, is there something that you're doing outside of running that kind of helps balance the running side of you? Like a passion or like hobbies, things like that. Yeah, so what inspires you outside of running? Yeah, I, I a bunch of different things. I. I go, I have, um, two little children now, so they inspire me a lot. So like they're very time consuming so, <laughs> and I had them later in life. So I have a five and a seven year old who they're amazing, but they take a ton of work. Um, but they inspire me too. They point out things. I just did a, 
a three and a half week trip with the whole family in Japan and we biked and the kids this year biked on their own bikes. We have done a trip in the past where you pull them in a trailer and just seeing the world through their eyes and watching them, you know, especially my little son, five-year-old was like on a 16 inch wheel <laughs> and two speeds. I always kept telling him that there's multiple speeds in the back and I told him I'll make cause he, he wanted more speeds and um, just seeing him grind away. He did 20 miles one day and not, not trying to turn them into ultra runners, but I think it's like having an impact and then also seeing, um, so gaining perspective through other, I've always gained perspective from like music and other art forms, doing things like writing, which I was like, ah, just, this is so hard. Um, so finding things that are hard to do, and again, I, I love sometimes, like I know it shouldn't be, sometimes it's not, when I have a list of so many things to get done, the last thing is like, oh, I need to chop wood, but. Sometimes I look forward to those moments where I just like doing something basic. So sometimes finding those like really simple, I don't know, maybe we shouldn't call them passions, but they're really exhilarating. And that's where like the trail work, the giving back, um, like finding ways if you are, if you do have a passion, if it is running, like maybe you don't have to always be running the race, but the guiding uh, visually impaired runners and, or yeah, finding ways. So for me, it's always been like, how can I find like things outside of the sport? Hanging out with athletes from other sports or other artists has always been helpful for perspective. And then, yeah, just had a passion for food. I mean, that's, those of you know, I, I love food and that's doing a cooking demonstration tomorrow um, here at Brooks, which I'm not talking running the whole time, but um, that's something too that I, you know, I don't get to grow my own food as much these days, but in Seattle, I had, you know, gardens on a rooftop terrace that was overloaded things. So, those kind of things have always been, yeah, interesting for me. And then reading too, I'm a big fan. Although these days with kids, my reading has gone down. <laughs> yeah, I should listen to books more, but there's something about reading a book. Um, yeah. Yeah, like my friend. So those are the, the things I'm most, but I used to think when I did a stint here on and off in California that I would pick up surfing. Mm -hmm. And then the learning curve was just too, uh, big. But when you live this close to water, like or a cat, you live in Hawaii. It's like you kind of so. I think doing things that um, yeah are off the way outside of your your zone is are good things to do too. Yeah. So, good question. Up. Great question. I'd say the same. Doing things outside that challenge you that aren't you know surfing's a great one. My husband Carson is an excellent surfer. You know. Um, he's like surfing like 25 foot waves on the North shore of Oahu, you know, and I'm just, you know, it's crazy. And, um, and you know, me keeping up with his family surfing, you know, it's a challenge that, that I am a beginner at. And even though I grew up in Hawaii too, I've been like, you know, surfing casually my whole life, but like, it's not something I've dedicated time to the same way he has. So being like, the worst one there it's always something that's super inspiring and makes you better at everything that you do so it's good to be terrible at something yeah have you ever thought of doing races with the burrows ever thought of doing burrow races <sighs> yeah have you read chris's uh, book yeah um which, by the way, he does a great job. Like, I was originally, I was like, he wrote a book about running with donkeys? Like, um, but I was, yeah, it was, it was a fun read. And I think, 
it didn't get me inspired to run with burrows. I don't know. I, I grew up around <laughs> animals, but I never, we didn't have a farm and I never grew up around like hooved animals besides deer that we would chase or moose um, and other things that we would hunt. But I just, um, I don't know. I, it sounds, I love like the aspects of it, but I don't know if I could get into that. I, one of the things I would say along those lines, um, I've, vowed to like take our kids and they're getting a little bit bigger now but we wanted to do stuff with llamas and so doing a, a through hike with llamas i was inspired by cindy ross um who she's written a number of books but um one of her books she did and her, her and her husband took their two kids on the continental divide trail and they did it with llamas because when they're younger they just can't walk the distances you need to cover and so um so that would probably be the closest <laughs> it's like doing uh, some through hiking with llamas to carry the gear so that the kids and then sometimes they throw the kid on it's like yeah not only the llamas to manage the, but the, also the, the kids yeah those are the, <laughs> those are family goals so that's like yeah i i hesitate to do something that involves relying on an animal um i yeah like some of the things with biking and these sports that require mechanical aspects i'm just like oh they're, they're tricky like every time i have yeah bike touring with the kids like okay now i have four bicycles to maintain <laughs> like um i can barely maintain one but yeah i don't know burrows like they just sound like they're amazing creatures but yeah to rely on them yeah and to compete it's it is fascinating though but maybe llamas i don't know if you'll still find me uh burrow racing but through hiking yeah, there you go. <laughs> Maybe it, it is pretty popular in Colorado. It's, it is the place to do it. Um, oh, do they have races? Yeah, they have races. So yeah, Chris uh, actually did a couple of, yeah. So not far away. So it is close to home, but yeah. I'm just like, I don't know. Like, I have a hard enough time with two kids <laughs> like, to rely on an animal, um, like a burrow, especially one that's very stubborn, but yeah. Tough creatures. If you yeah, if you've been places where they're used as pack animals, it's like, they're tough, but getting them to do what you want uh, when they need to be doing it, it's another story. Yeah, it's like not about how fit you are at all. <laughs> which, <laughs> Unless you which have is like cool a too. motivated yeah. burrow, you know, which then you're cool. like running to keep up. If it decides to sprint, you're sprinting, you know? Yeah, uh, and a lot of ultra runners were like, uh, especially in Northern California, I mean, that's how Western states evolved was ride and tie. Um, and, you know, the Tevis Cup, of course, which was a horse race before um, they, they started running it. but. I, I knew a lot of runners from Northern California, really good ones that did ride and tie. And that, they are typically shorter races where you run with a horse and you take turns running with it. So like you run as far as, you, you know, or you ride as far as with the horse that you think your other runner can run, catch up to, tie off the horse and then you run. And uh, I don't know if they happen as often, but ride and tie seemed fascinating to me too. But you gotta be able to ride a horse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Burrows you don't have, you just have to run alongside them, I guess. Yeah, which one is harder? Yeah. <laughs> Um, any more questions, you guys? I have one. Uh, What's up? So someone who ran with a Tarahumara, I wonder how someone like Lorena Ramirez would do at like UTMB, and, and what can races do to really open it up, especially with the sort of the qualification requirements that they have. Uh, it's, it's becoming more popular, as I said. So how do you basically? They seem these two objectives seem to be at odds with each other. So how do you balance that? Yeah. It. Can you repeat the question? Yeah. So. The question was, how do you balance and reckon with, you want to be more inclusive uh, to all types of runners, and particularly she was mentioning the, the Tarahumana, which, um, you know, we, they have raced in the U.S. and in North America, but I don't think they've been over to Europe yet. 
but how do you be more inclusive of people that may not have as many opportunities? And I think that goes for a lot of races and cultures and indigenous folks. Like, how do you, how does the sport be more? Because there's no doubt. I mean, our sport is terrible for diversity. And I can say that as in a biracial marriage and family, it's just like, and I grew up very white in Northern Minnesota. So I'll say this, like it, our sport is very white. It's also, you know, very well to do for the most part. Um, whereas when I was in the sport, I felt like there's more blue collar folks. Like I remember, especially coming down to Angeles Crest 100 here, um, they used to call themselves the Mexican connection. Um, and Gabriel Flores and Guillermo Medina and like all these like Jorge Pacheco, they were my, my friends and like fellow, but a lot of folks like Gabrielle, like he would like work all day in a tire shop and then go run. And, you know, he was doing things like Badwater and winning it. And so, and Angela's Crest, I don't think he actually won, but he was like top three many times. And so it was at a time when I think the sport was almost like they made it more welcoming and cool to be like working hard jobs and then running. Um, because I think that two don't go hand in hand. And a lot of people feel like, okay, if I'm not at a certain part um, of society, I can't run. And I think the beauty of running is that anybody can do it, but how do you open those doors? So I think our sport has a long way to go to being more inclusive. Um, you know, we're doing a better job of celebrating women, I think, in the sport, but it kind of ends there for the most part. So it's like, how do you get, I think races do need to have, I still think like, there's nothing wrong with a race director being a dictator. And I say that because there are races that have done a better job of like, you know what, I'm going to let in whoever I think I want that can add to competition or to, can add to this race. And I think that's where race directors and organizations can do a better job of like making a decision. That was the beauty of Western states back in the day. There were no golden tickets. Mm -hmm. It was like if the race director at the time, Norm Klein or Greg Sutherland, like, hey, I want to let in the 100K world champ uh, on the road and see what he can do or she can do on the trail. That to me was a great time um, versus, oh yeah, you got to qualify. And it's like, well, how can these people travel? And you are placing barriers, um, not just to say um, international runners, but here even in the US, like you got to have enough money. Like again, <laughs> you go credit card debt like I did, yeah. or you just, I can't travel to these races or like getting, and then the amount of money that you have to spend. So I think, yeah, races could do a better job of like, making it more inclusive and if it means scholarships or programs to like yeah we want to let in some talented runners um, who knows how they'll do but we want them to be great examples for their community uh, to get involved so yeah it's, it's and i think part. a lot of the responsibility falls on the brands too you know um we're like we do run for a great brand that does um uh you know elevate the voices of a lot of diverse communities that might not have the opportunity elsewhere but i think it does you know it falls on the races of, or it falls on the shoulders of the brands in a huge part to elevate those voices and to you know show that hey like you know all you need is a pair of shoes to get started and you can do this and like maybe that means sponsoring someone to go to a race that you know and it's not a performance-based thing because it's it is as important for um, the sport as like, you know, sponsoring elite athletes because it's only going to make the sport better. You know, there's so much untapped talent because it is a predominantly white male sport and, you know, white female sport too, you know, um, even though the pool is much smaller in the, in the women's 
um, field. But like, I think, you know, celebrating people who are doing it and who are, you know, out of their comfort zone and um, because they're the only one that is like them, you know, and celebrating that too. And so, you know, you know, and, you know, elevating those voices and also talking about, yeah, like it's a hard thing to show up at a race and you're the only one that looks like you or that comes from your background and talking about that story too, because that story might speak to someone, some kid who's like, oh, there's like a freaking trail in LA that's like right by my house. I didn't know there was any trails in LA. Like I can just do this from my door and I can like this person who has the same background as me and who is scared like me can do this. Like, and I, and so I think, you know, the people who have the resources are not, you know, and, and we can do our best and we should do our best, but the brands have the resources, you know, and I think, you know, committing a portion of that, um, to, uh, making sure that there's a diverse set of voices at every start line, no matter how they perform is important and it's getting better, but it still has a long way to go. And I think also doing like community events something I've been like really wanting to do is like going to, you know, I was a teacher before this. I want to go to schools. Um, and I was, I did a lot of my practicum stuff at what's called high risk schools. And something cool that came out of that is just because I'm a runner, I was working with like fourth, fifth, sixth graders a lot of times. And they would ask what I was doing. Um, and we talk about running and like, Aurora and, and it, it was super cool and that's and so like sending athletes to schools and athletes committing to doing that work is I think also also important and only going to be good for everyone like there is no downside it, it's just hard it's just time you know time and money that like you know it's hard to commit to sometimes yeah and having the role models I think like and yeah. that's where I think on a community level too there's a lot that you can do because it is hard that we all have probably enough time that we could run a half hour or an yeah. hour um, and I think having those role models within the communities to be like yeah you could do this um, but I don't know running's kind of cool but <laughs> it's yeah. come a long way but it's also like it's not the first thing people want to do with their free time and it is a choice <laughs> um, and we do live in uh, you know this fortunate and amazing situation I mean given the times that, you know, look what's happened in the last week around the world, like it's a gift to be able to run out our door, even if it is maybe not as safe, but it's pretty, like it's a gift to be able to do what we do um, here in the US, in the Western world. Um, overall, it's pretty safe and we have that opportunity. We don't always take it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a hard decision. I mean, I've, I've been there. The last thing you wanna do is like, it's like you're running shoes if you've worked a 12 hour day or you're working two jobs. Um, and if you're a single parent, I mean, there's, there's not, and I think that, yeah, there's gotta be yeah, better programs. I thought like the babysitting at um, events was a really cool idea. There's like been talk about like, how do you offer moms? And I think this goes out to, because I don't know what the numbers are, if it's seven out of 10, eight out of 10, nine out of 10, that single moms are out there. They're the ones who can't maybe run a race because of childcare or something like that, or do a training run. Like how cool would it be to have like a program to you know, watch kids, whether it's, the mom or the dad and like have some free time. Yeah, or like the firm policies for Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's like that's crazy <laughs> that that's just becoming a thing. Yeah, it's, there's a, yeah, there's a ton of things we have to do, but, um, but it's having role models. Um, Connor Ryan, who's a um, indigenous uh, skier 
who, if you haven't checked out his uh, work and what he's doing, like making like a sport like skiing, which is expensive, like running, all you have, you don't even need a pair of shoes really, but um, he's really doing some cool things with uh, indigenous uh, people from North America and uh, programs. So it's like a sport that really has a big barrier to entry from a cost standpoint, like lift tickets and getting on the mountain. Um, he's doing some cool, so I think running is a pretty easy one. It's just like, how can we like infiltrate like school stuff and yeah, I think it's like just that young showing age. that it's accessible and it's not and like making it fun too, because that's a huge you know uh, barrier too is running to always the punishment in sports and like going in and telling kids like this is fun <laughs> you know you don't have to go fast if you want to walk walk if you want to like jump over a rock that's super cool you know I think that's important too and like just that messaging around running is you know and that that again that happens by going to schools and talking to people and, and talking to kids and then talking to like not just into schools you know but like you know being a good community member and telling you know your peers like why you do it you know and that's you know the only way that we're going to see um, change, you know, is making running accessible. And it's not accessible because to people because the time, but also because it's hard, <laughs> you know, and people, there's a, it's totally misunderstood. Yeah. doesn't have a huge cool factor until you've gotten a taste of it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> we can do more out there. Awesome. Any more questions, guys? What's up? Um, as you're both just these incredible ambassadors for, for us, just a simple share with us what this is what both of you like run happy means to you so what does run happy mean to you why don't you why don't you take that first one? Oh man um you know i think i was my sister my younger sister she hasn't been a runner in the same way i has like runner running has always been my thing and she's a great example of someone that like has misunderstood running and she's always, you know, I've been the crazy one because I like to just like push, push and do this hard thing, but that's not the case. Like I fell in love with running because it was freedom. You know, it was my time. I grew up in like a crowded house, like I'm one of four and there was like no room for all of us. And it was, you know, loud and like running was my time and my only time and it was my freedom. Um, and it didn't really like, even when I I'd started running for fun, when I was maybe in like fourth or th fifth grade and I'd walk a lot, you know, <laughs> I didn't, I'd, I'd like walk and run and do whatever I wanted. And, you know, I, my sister who's super busy, um, in grad school working a full-time job, <clears throat> um, she wants to, she like needs something for her mental health and I'm like, go for a run. And it took her a long time to do that because it, that same, because it's running's hard. She's like, you've always been crazy to run. You know, she and Carson, my husband call me pathological <laughs> for running ultras. And, and then I was like, no, just come with me and, and do it. And like, you don't have to go fast at all. It should, it should feel good. And I think, and then she, you know, started doing it and it did feel good. And, you know, now she like, she just did Loon Mountain Race in um, the East Coast, which is like one of the most famous uh, mountain courses in the country. And she had so much fun. And I think that's running happy is like, it's, it's not performance. It's not, um, doing it for any other reason other than like, it feels good and it's freedom. And now just like, it was my, like my freedom when I was a kid. Now it's her freedom. It's her freedom from like her crazy busy life. And she's like dedicating her whole life to like save the world. She's like going to her whole 
she grew up in Hawaii and her whole purpose in life is to like make Hawaii better. Um, and it's, and it kills her sometimes because it seems hopeless, but like running right now is her outlet to, to like, that's her time. And that's, you know, she owns that no matter what it looks like. And she did Loon Mountain and like, she doesn't even know how fast she ran it. <laughs> you know, she knows nothing about it. She ran it and like, um, and that's running happy to me is like, you know, and seeing her do that has really reminded me of that. I would say for me, run happy is like just being happy in the state that I am at that moment. And that's where I know it's kind of like sometimes at bricks, like the run happy thing is like run happy. Like it's just like everyone's just happy. But for me, it's, um, just a, a contentness, if I could say that, I don't know if that's a word, but being content um, and finding that on each run or hopefully most runs or <laughs> some of the runs, that's, um, that's what running happy is for me. Great question. Cool. Is that all you guys? Uh, well, thanks so much, Scott. Thank you, um, audience, for coming here. And thanks, listeners, for tuning in to the B-Rad podcast. It's been super fun, one of my favorite episodes yet. So give me some nucks. Yeah, thank this. you. Thank you, Kat. <laughs> thanks for having me. Awesome. It's been great. Thank you, folks.